welcome to LBH Let's Be Honest and this week it's a solo ramblings. So it's been a while since my last recording because I've actually been through thoracic lung surgery for my thoracic endometriosis. So when we last spoke, just a quick recap, um, I was talking about coming off of the marina coil that had been removed and the symptoms after about five days um, reversed. So the joint pain went, which is amazing, emotional outbursts gone, um, pain, like random pains that I was getting in my abdomen disappeared, which is great. Um, so I'd then had a referral to speak to a thoracic surgeon because it had been three years since my first lung surgery and they had performed a pleurodesis surgery, which is where they stick the lung lining to the chest wall lining to prevent further lung collapses. Because I was experiencing cataminal pneumothoraces where I would have a lung collapse during my cycle, usually kind of 72 hours after the end of my period, kind of leading up towards ovulation. And that's definitely where I found a lot of my symptoms happening in terms of breathlessness, tightness in my chest, abdominal pain, uh, lower back pain, etc. So to cut a long story short, I had a online video call with this consultant. And since that first surgery, I hadn't found a surgeon who was multidisciplined and able to remove the endometriosis from my diaphragm. Lots of gynecologists had said it was too risky because it's such a thin muscle and it would be dangerous to remove and that the outcome could be worse than leaving it. And then there were lung surgeons who weren't obviously experienced in the gynae side so hadn't seen endometriosis on the diaphragm or lung area so were also a bit nervous about kind of repairing and cutting that out. But from my own research, I guess, from scientific papers and research papers, whilst there was even a tiny amount of diaphragmatic endometriosis on the diaphragm, I would be getting serious shoulder pain, chest tightness and difficulty with breathing. And my breathing was getting to the stage that I couldn't then work out anymore. And that's something that really helped with my other endometriosis symptoms and helps with your mental health and really helps keep my energy levels up. I love working out. That's my thing. So I got to the point where I hadn't been able to do that for like six months. And with the pain I was getting my shoulder too, that coupled with the breathing issues, really, I found it really quite tough. So anyway, I spoke to this consultant and he actually was multidisciplinary and he worked with a team of people who included a top gynae surgeon. He was a thoracic surgeon. So there's a team of people who really understood endometriosis and lungs and thoracic side of things which was something that I'd really struggled to find until now. You know we had this quick chat and I just thought it would be okay this is potentially what we could or couldn't do or I actually to be honest thought they would say it's too risky again because that's what I'd heard for the last three years from several people but in fact he pretty much said not a problem I've done this before. Now when I look at female patients who have come in with lung collapses or anything to do with the lung, I check for endometriosis when I'm in surgery, which was incredible to hear that you've got someone doing that. Unfortunately, there are not enough surgeons who are specialised in this area or multidisciplinary who do that. So anyway, he pretty much said, I'll see you on the operating table then. I'll see you in surgery. And it could be in a matter of weeks. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I thought it was just a chat. I didn't think they would even think about doing lung surgery during COVID due to the risks. So I really didn't think much of it. It took a few days and I was sent a date and I was called up by his secretary who said, oh, we can get you on the 27th. At this time, 
in February. And I presume they meant March. It couldn't have been 27th, which was like two and a half weeks away. So I was like, oh, what, 27th of? And she said to me, February. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. That high-pitched kind of like petrified, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? What will I do about work? What will I do about, you know, getting there? Because I can't drive there because da da da. So all these things start whirring around in your mind. So yes, that then brings me to my surgery on the 27th of February. So anyway, before I go into any more detail, the quote of the podcast is, pain is just a lesson when you heal. And I think that's a perfect quote for this episode because it'll make a lot more sense. So as part of this solo ramblings, I kind of wanted to give you an update on my thoracic endometriosis situation. So that would be the surgery that I have now had, my tips on going into this kind of surgery and my recovery tips too and kind of where I am now and my next steps. So for those of you who don't know what thoracic endometriosis is or TE as it's sometimes shortened to, so it's when endometriosis is found in the chest cavity. So it's commonly found in the diaphragm and that's where I um, had a biopsy taken on my first lung surgery three years ago and pathology came back with diaphragmatic endometriosis as a diagnosis but it can also be found on the lungs in the pleura kind of around that lung area so symptoms will include you know trouble breathing chest pains right shoulder pain and shoulder tip pain is something that's mostly reported by patients lung nodules lung collapses i had several of those um actually that's how i was taken into a e the first time i'd had a full lung collapse had no idea, just had abdominal pain, but it was so sharp, I'd collapsed twice at home. So I called 111 and they sent me straight in and I had a chest x-ray that then showed I had a full lung collapse. So there are different types of thoracic endometriosis. So then what's diaphragmatic endo? So diaphragmatic endo is a form of endo where the tissue that resembles the uterus lining grows on the diaphragm itself. And the diaphragm, if you don't know, is like the dome-shaped sheet of muscle that separates the abdomen from the chest and it allows a person to breathe and actually the diaphragm does so much more than I had ever imagined so google it <laughs> uh, it's fascinating and the diaphragmatic endo is commonly found on the right side in patients but it can be found bilaterally so it could be on both sides or on the left but the right is where it's mostly found so on the 27th of Feb I went in for a postnatural thoracotomy which is apparently one of the most painful surgical procedures they didn't tell me that at the time so it's pretty much where they make an incision on your back but kind of part way down your ribs and around to the side so that they can access the diaphragm now due to the fact that i had two vats procedures before so video assisted technology where they do um, keyhole surgery in the side um, they were unable to go in through that route again to get to my diaphragm because it would have been too risky. They thought they may have damaged the lung if they went in that way because it had been stuck quite heavily by the pleurodesis surgeries that I'd had before. So they had to access my diaphragm through my back rib. So my diaphragm was hitched up to the side. So that would have caused me problems with my breathing and also pain. So when he saw that my diaphragm was hitched up and he released it, he said that to me that explained a lot of my pain and breathing difficulty. Also, what it meant is where the diaphragm was hitched up, my lung was folded at the bottom. So that also would have caused reduced lung capacity um, and pain. I had um, decortation, which is a medical procedure where they remove a surface layer membrane and they had to cut away part of my pleura membrane of the lung because um, it was stuck so tight from my previous pleurodesis surgeries that they were unable to access the diaphragm and release the diaphragm where it was hitched up at the side there. So pleurectomy is where 
part of the pleura is removed and I kind of explained that before and it helps to prevent fluid from collecting in the affected area and then application of the diaphragm was where they actually removed any thoracic endometriosis from my diaphragm and at the time they said that they could see the nodules of endometriosis but also like a brown collection of fluid around the diaphragm which would have been caused by the endometriosis so all of that was cleaned up and whilst they were in they could actually see my liver from the top side so checked my liver for any endometriosis um that my lung was very pink in color so he said it was like a pediatric lung so a very healthy pink lung i think he's quite used to seeing quite gray sullen kind of cancerous lungs um, and similar so that was a nice compliment to hear so ultimately putting all the jargon aside he removed the endometriosis from my diaphragm. He unhitched my diaphragm, which was hitched up to the side, which would have caused breathing difficulties. And he unfolded the lung at the bottom too. So, and he made sure everything was clear and checked for any endometriosis in my pleura or around the thoracic region. And then kind of so we back up again. And then I was left with two drains. So when you have lung surgery, you're normally left with a drain. So I had an apical and basal drain Instead of one drain that I would usually have from a VATS procedure in the past, I actually had two, and it could be quite uncomfortable having those two drains. Um, but that just removes any fluid um, that's left from the surgery in your lung area. And what they did for me, which I thought was a really good tip, is normally anyone who's had any sort of surgery where you need a drain, no one ever forgets the removal of a drain because it is a bit of a trauma, to be honest with you. I'm kind of used to it now because I've had like four drains removed, it's just that feeling, I guess, because they normally stitch it in. What this surgeon said to me is, I don't put a stitch in. So they just use some like surgical kind of sticky stuff um, to keep the drain in place. And then when they remove it, you don't have the stitch being broken or cut, which is causing inflammation and pain. Um, they just put it out. And to be honest, this time I didn't feel anything for either drain removal, either of the two. I do have to give a caveat there that I had background epidural pain management going on in ICU and potentially quite high levels of pain relief so that could be the reason too. So yeah cut a long story short I was in hospital for seven days in total four and a half in ICU where the nurse looked after me independently and then two days on the ward but I tell you what by the time it was kind of day three or four I was up able to go to the toilet myself able to wash myself able to move around the room in ICU and then on the ward, I was literally walking around, doing my exercises with the physio, up and down stairs by day five or six, maybe, day six, and raring to go home. So, you know, they're so amazing in hospital. And all the fears I had about going in during COVID were just kind of brushed away as soon as I was there. I had to have regular COVID tests every 48 hours. The staff had them twice a day. They all wore their masks. I had to wear a mask if I was outside of my room. And it was just all very clean and carefully organized and all procedures followed so that was incredible and I must admit I probably felt better due to all the pain relief whilst I was in hospital because when you get home and you don't have that kind of like 24-hour care it can be pretty daunting so I wanted to share after talking about all the medical stuff I wanted to share some of my tips kind of like going into hospital things that I think really helped me and helped prepare me and then tips on recovery too to help anyone going through similar surgeries on their way. I think the key things for me going into hospital were bringing in some items that made me feel at home and gave me comfort. For example, a few friends and family members had sent me cards prior to my surgery. So I brought those in. So I would suggest bringing cards from friends and family that you can have up on the side or even just having a book that you can look at from now 
um, any favourite photos or an, what I did actually is made an album on my phone specifically for things like feel good pictures of friends, family, my pugs, um, anything, any quotes that I loved. So I put them all in an album that I can flick through and have a look whilst waiting to go down to surgery and when I came out just to remind me of home because during this COVID time I couldn't have any visitors so I could speak to my husband and my family on the phone but I couldn't have anyone physically come and see me so that was quite tough. What I would also recommend is bring a few of your favourite snacks. So for example I'm allergic to milk protein so I brought in my fave, fave fruit tea bags just in case I didn't have the milk that I needed. Um, I brought in some naked Whole Foods bars which are dairy free, some crisps because I randomly get like like salt kind of craving sometimes savory cravings so I brought in some salt and vinegar squares for whenever I had a craving and I forgot about them for the first few days in ICU wasn't really thinking about it the food was great to be honest in the hospital so I didn't have to worry too much but the odd time when you want something in between or when you're in your own room so I'd be like oh I could have some crisps in between or whatever so that was great your surgery paperwork and any copies of any historic letters um, that you can show, you might show a consultant or nurses so that they can be familiarised with your specific um, history. So I find that, found that helpful. I didn't really have to use it too much, but at the beginning when you go in and speak to a nurse on intake or when you speak to them for your pre-op, that can be really useful to have copies of those letters so they can read through. And I'd say another tip would be to speak up in hospital. So if you are in pain, if you are uncomfortable, you want to go to the toilet or wash yourself, just make your thoughts known, um, be upfront and ask if you need help. I think they're things that when you first go in for surgery, you're scared to ask or you don't want to make a fuss, but I think they're so important in your recovery and in how you feel like the comfort at the hospital. When the nurses tell you to rest, rest. Don't overdo the physio, believe me, I did. Um, I remember doing like the 10 flights of stairs because I had pain relief and was feeling great one day and then was completely knocked out for like three days after. Um, and lower any expectations you had pre-surgery of yourself. I think that's so important because in your mind you kind of think, I can do this, I used to be able to do this, I used to be able to do that. But in fact, those expectations of yourself are just not helpful going into surgery and coming out, starting your recovery because that expectation is just something you can't always meet and most of the time you won't meet. So really you're just setting yourself up for a fall. So some tips for when you get home. So my UU bottle, if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a really long hot water bottle with a really cool case. Mine, I have like a, I have two actually. One is like a fleecy velvety colour and the other one's like a, it's called Pimlico linen and it just looks really good too. So if you're attached to it most of the day and someone comes to the door, like it, they're, they're pretty good looking hot water bottles too. So it's almost my number one tip and I had mine filled in hospital for me. Some hospitals won't do that for you due to health and safety, but mine was filled up and it definitely helped me between medication when I got home. So I was given like a strong pain relief in the morning, then paracetamol throughout the day and another strong pain relief in the evening. So that in-between patch after doing a walk or doing physio exercise, my UU bottle was my saviour because the heat was just really, really helped. Now, some people say that you shouldn't have heat with inflammation, but my consultant said that was something I could do. So just take the advice from the experts. But my UU bottle still is one of my key recovery hinge pins. It's something that's so important for me. So now the first week I would suggest after coming out of hospital, do not do an LBH and set yourself a million goals and expectations. 
Now, from hindsight, I would say listen to your body and follow what feels right. Spend the first week at home getting used to the pain at home and the ways that you find best to manage it. Speak to your nurse, your consultant, your GP. And then if you can't get your medication right while you're in pain, do not suffer. Please speak out because my first week back, I was in absolute agony because I couldn't take one of the top up pain reliefs because it was making me really sick. So I was cutting that out and I was in so much pain and it was making me feel sick and fatigued and dizzy. So I ended up having to rush back into hospital for an x-ray. And when we spoke afterwards, they were like, look, you need to get the pain relief right. So we're going to put you on this program. And they changed up my pain meds. From then on in, it was a lot more plain sailing for definite. So eat well and take your prescribed laxatives. I know TMI, but when you're taking such strong pain relief, and general anaesthetic, it can cause severe constipation and that can add additional strain to our body. And it doesn't help with recovery, especially with diaphragmatic endometriosis when you've had any sort of surgery on your diaphragm. So my diaphragm, I don't know if I explained that part, was kind of rebuilt. So it was all the endo was cut out and then it was rebuilt with a mesh. So while that mesh is still healing, it's not good to kind of put any strain or pressure on it. So I couldn't lift, I couldn't stretch, I couldn't do things I used to do. Plus constipation. If you Googled what a diaphragm does, it helps you excrete waste and if you're constipated and it's got extra pressure on it that's really painful and really not a good situation to be in so yeah I definitely recommend taking what they give you and just getting that level right that balance you know what it is you don't want to be too far one way or the other but it's important to talk about and if you've got any problems talk to your doctor again about that and then move so walk and then complete as much of the physio exercise that your doctor and your consultant advise you to do so whilst you're in the hospital they'll give you things to do like every hour so for me breathing exercises I was meant to do once an hour like two to three breaths and then walk around and do stretches and um, shoulder exercises but when you get home and you've got the pain to deal with and you're trying to rest and you're trying to balance everything out I think from hindsight I would say do it as often as you can don't be so set in oh it has to be once an hour because that was the mistake I made and for the first month of my recovery I had no downtime and no rest I was worried about doing my physio all the time doing my breathing exercises every hour going for a walk coming back eating something I just felt so drained and exhausted and if anything it just really set me back on my recovery so I think the key thing here is listen to your body because that's the way you are going to recover in the way that you should in the time frame that you should recover. So after a month, I realised I really needed to get that balance. So I would do my physio and a walk and I kind of built up my walk slowly. So initially with the pain, I could hardly walk kind of 10 minutes and I was shuffling along at a really slow speed because my whole right side of my torso was in agony from the thoracotomy. Because um, it kind of goes through the latimus dorsi. So that's your biggest muscle in your torso so when I've been cut through there you can imagine the inflammation and nerve pain so every time I walk the pain was just extremely intense so I would then come home after 10 minutes feel frustrated I'd only done 10 minutes and they'd kind of said to me do three 10 minute walks but I was so tired like the thought of getting out three times but I really pushed myself and it was ultimately probably too much for my body so what I would say is, you know, build up your walk slowly, listen to your body. If you're tired, rest and don't you know, set those expectations as high as I did because you'll just end up going back so much further in your recovery. So walks are really important. Meditation, even combining the two, I've found walking meditation really helpful. It helps me focus on the walk itself 
and not worry about the pain so much. Obviously it's important to not do something so that it hurts, but when you're further down your recovery, a walking meditation can be really calming and relaxing. My yoo bottle, as I mentioned before. Reading, so I really struggled to read and focus on the pain relief they gave me in hospital and that I came home with. But as I started to reduce that medication, I've actually managed to finish a book. Woohoo! Definitely keep at it. I think reading is a really good focus and it's something different from kind of binge watching Netflix. And don't get me wrong, I have done that too. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're like me and you love to read, just keep at it because you will get there. And I read an incredible book that I really, really loved, which is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And it was really, really helpful in this time because it's kind of short chapters. But yeah, felt really accomplished when I finished that. Even if it is just a few pages at a time, again, just set your expectations a bit lower than where they were before. And then breathing exercises. They are so important at home, but I guess just don't get too hooked on them. So I had my Spiro Ball, which is like a contraption that you kind of breathe in and it checks your lung capacity and it will have a little smiley face on the side and you have to keep it consistent. And it will tell you how many mils air you're getting into your lungs. So I was doing that quite frequently at first and my respiratory physio said, look, two to three times a day is fine. Now that you're moving about and you're exercising your lung, then two to three times is fine. And then I also had an oxygen meter, so for my finger, just to check my oxygen levels. It was just good as a guide. So if I felt I was getting breathless, then I would check it. I think doing that daily can be a little bit too much and you can get a bit obsessed about breathing. And it does change dependent on allergies what you've done beforehand, whether you're talking, what stress levels are. So I think it's important not to get stressed over things like that. So I hope these tips have really helped you. I'm now at the stage where I am eight weeks post-surgery today. So yeah, eight weeks ago today, I would have had my surgery and I would have been back in my room in ICU probably not having a clue what's going on due to the drugs and the epidural. Um, where am I now? I'd say I'm making really good progress. I had my first physio session this week. I got into the car for the first time this week. So a bit of freedom, which is amazing. Was allowed to mix with my best friends for the first time in months. So I haven't seen them since like before the Christmas lockdown, which was incredible to see them both just for a short time outside. But it just really felt amazing to kind of start getting things back to normal. And just starting to think about, you know, I've got occupational health meeting next week, so getting back to work and just starting to get my life back, but not pushing myself too much. I'm still in pain. I'm still very stiff. I still feel a lot of numbness on my right side of my torso. And what I have found is this week is ovulation week and ovulation is still bringing up some symptoms that I had prior. So what we have to remember is they've kind of taken the thoracic endometriosis away, but not my pelvic endo. That is still very much there and there is no cure for endometriosis. So this week I have felt a bit more breathless on more hilly walks and I've had um, some abdominal pain, which is actually worse during ovulation than it was during my period, which is absolutely crazy. But yeah, so I'm just kind of tracking some of these symptoms. So I think that's also so important. It's still very early days post-surgery, so I'm not thinking, oh no, it didn't work, but I'm just trying to understand what's causing those breathless kind of feeling or those pains. I think one good thing, touch wood, is the shoulder pain that I used to get and the back pain, which would cause me such fatigue and really affect my ability to exercise, to sit for periods of time, to work, because the pain was so exhausting. Um, touch wood, I hate saying this, but it's majorly improved, if not gone. So I'm hoping it stays that way. And only time will tell over the next few months. Anyway, sorry, this was very medical heavy solo ramblings. I'm glad I call it ramblings. I feel like I've really rambled for this last 30 minutes, but I hope it's been insightful. 
I hope it's helped anyone going through a similar thing with thoracic endometriosis, diaphragmatic endometriosis. But all I would say is there are ups and there are downs and it has been tough. And there's lots of other great quotes that I probably won't remember or even recite properly. But there's that whole, you know, you have to walk through the storm to get through the storm. And that's really been key in my recovery this time. There's been times where I felt completely crap about it. But on the whole, I think it's been kind of like 80-20. So 80% of the time, I've tried to remain positive, keep making steps forward to getting better and getting my life back. And then 20% of the time, it's fine to just be like, I can't do much today. I feel like crap. I'm not going to wash my hair. I'm just going to just bleh. But yeah, just do what's right for you and you will get there. This is all temporary. That's it. I'm done with all the cheesy quotes, but it's temporary. Times will change. Things will move on and you will look back and you will learn. As I said at the beginning, you know, you will learn from pain. There's a lesson to be learned from pain when you heal. So as I'm healing, I'm learning those lessons. I'm realising how much I've come through and got through looking back and... um, yeah just looking forward to the future I'm really excited um, so yes little did I know I would be telling you that I've then had surgery after all the symptoms I was having last year and early this year but I am so pleased I was able to get it done I feel so grateful and hopeful for the future but just to be clear I'm not a medical professional so any views or experiences are that of my own if you do need any further information please consult your healthcare provider or medical professional for any further medical advice. If you want to follow my story about thoracic endometriosis, you can find me at LBH Lifestyle on Instagram for more details. I'll be back soon with some incredible guests. So thank you so much for listening to my solo ramblings and I'll speak to you soon. Take care guys. LBH, let's be honest, breaks the taboo on a wide range of underrated topics. Have you ever found yourself in the presence of people, whether it be friends, family or colleagues, where you wanted to say how you really felt about a subject or voice your opinion? Have you stopped and found yourself an echo and not the voice in social situations where peer pressure sets in and you feel you have to conform? LBH gives thoughtfully selected guests the podium to talk about real, genuine topics. Lindsay lifts the lid on women's health, diversity, mental health, relationships, self-care, the list is endless. Tune in to listen to LBH's solo ramblings and her genuine conversations with her guests. LBH. Let's be honest.